Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is Comfort Films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the much anticipated and awaited <laughs> episode 38. We're back in the game, guys. Comfort Films. We're back. We're back. I don't know. We're back, <laughs> but I mean, are we in the game probably not i don't know i don't know i've never been much of a sports guy in my <laughs> older years but i i just wanted to i don't know something victorious summon the enthusiasm yeah. i appreciate it like we're in miracle right yeah. <laughs> you know i just wanted to have that for us it does a little bit of feel like that okay uh, okay yeah so after taking a trip that really a wasn't trip to hell <laughs> <laughs> anticipated it was like a family emergency type thing mm -hmm. um that was pretty rough but then on the way home we caught covid yeah that was just so fucking good like <laughs> just like thanks yeah. a lot universe really needed that absolutely um, loved it just you know the coughing the just like yeah. am i fucking dying feeling and it was awesome yeah. you don't sleep you look at the ceiling <laughs> yeah it was it was really the worst we yeah. don't recommend catching covid no um, it is the opposite of comfort it is yeah, yeah. and yeah. yeah we were sick for a good i'd say two weeks and yeah. then i'm still probably you know not 100 percent. i'm still coughing and have like bronchitis-y stuff so thankfully we were like vaccinated. We didn't have to go into the hospital. Yeah. Lots of, you know, positives, but I am super tired of being sick at this point. Right. Um, but we're happy to jump back on with you guys and talk movies and distract ourselves for <laughs> an hour or so. <laughs> we can we can enjoy life again. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. just watched the awesome film Clueless. Ten out of ten. We love this movie. We both yeah. do. Um this came out in ninety five. July of 95, so it came out right after I graduated from high school. And right before my senior year, so... So weird. We're definitely target audience, yeah. I think, on this movie. Um, and it really does capture, like, that 90s kind of spirit, oh, yeah. from, I think. Yeah, like, the, the whole thing, like, the clothes, the music. I mean, this brings me back to when we used to buy the actual soundtrack CDs so we can make our powerful mixtapes, oh, yes, right? Of the soundtrack of this was great because it had an acoustic version of Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. Oh, yeah. We both love Radiohead, too. Yeah. That's she shits song. on it. She shits she on does. it. She does. Yeah. She calls it, what, what does she call it? Oh, God. Sad rock or <sighs> complaint <it>. rock. Complaint <laughs> rock. But we're big fans of Complaint Rock, so sorry, Cher. Um, but, you know, she's not exactly, like, our type of person, <laughs> necessarily. No. I mean, Cher is not really somebody I probably would have been friends with unless she was trying to save me. Um, that would have been cool, though, because she does a great job with the saving. I don't know. I would Ooh. argue she's horrible at it. Really? Yes, because she, you know, is selfish, and it is all coming from a place of selfishness. Um, even with Ty, she's kind of like trying to prove something, you know, like, oh, look what I can do, you know, okay, okay. and she's coming at it with a perspective that even thinking that people need to be saved is like an arrogant kind of a POV. Okay. Me. All right. To say like, oh, this person, you know, needs my help to be better. That's kind of saying like this person isn't acceptable on their own. So I need to like drag them up. Yeah. 
And, I mean, I think that's the whole thing about this movie. It's like a journey for Cher mm-hmm. to understand that, you know, people have their own interests and their own values and that you don't have to put your own onto them. Like, you don't, you know, you can help people and you can do good things for people mm-hmm. and you can be a good friend without trying to control everyone. Mm. This is, I mean, this is a good point because, like, I see. I just didn't think about it that way. I'm like, oh wow, she helped people out. I, I don't know. I love the fact that the two teachers get together, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's something that would have happened without intervention. No, no, it wouldn't. Definitely not. And they do have a happy ending, which is very nice. Yeah, you have the nice wedding at the ending, you know, which wraps it all together. Um, but you know, it's like I understand, like the reason that she wants those teachers to get together entirely selfish reasons yeah. she wants to fix her grades yeah so it's kind of it like it i works. don't know do you get credit for that maybe i don't know like because it worked out like if you do something that's super selfish but it ends up being really great for other people is it still cool that's kind of the question i guess well i mean the whole thing is that she starts out with kind of like this benign kind of meddling like that Mm -hmm. right right which does help people but then as she gets more bold with it because she sees her success Mm -hmm. she starts thinking oh i can do even more you know i can push this further and i can make this happen and to the point where she basically thinks she can manipulate anyone into doing what she wants them to do okay and it's kind of like she flew too close to the sun, right? <laughs> like, you okay, know, okay. she starts out with her teachers. That works out. Mm-hmm. Then she, then Ty shows up, and she's, like, kind of been told by Josh, which is Paul Rudd, right. that, you know, she doesn't do anything if it's not from a selfish place. Yeah. And she comes into this, like, well, I'm going to help this person because I'm not selfish, you know. And yet, it is still selfish. She's trying to, like, show how great she is. Okay. You know? Okay. And she doesn't listen to Ty at all. Like, Ty has a thing for Breck and Meyer. What's his name? Travis. For Travis, the skateboard, the skateboard guy. One of the loadies. I love that term, loadies. <laughs> we really love that. And then they're hanging out on the grassy knoll, which makes me think about JFK. <laughs> You know, I'm like, are the Lodies part of the JFK conspiracy? I just don't know. I yeah. don't know. I felt that was a weird <laughs> you know, Like they're hanging out there. You know, maybe they're watching the Zap Ruder film. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Lodies love the Zap Ruder film. They're like, but, yeah. you know, like Ty's whole thing is she likes to smoke pot. She likes to like hang out with skaters. She's really, really into Travis instantly. Yeah. And they have similar interests you know he wants to put marvin martian on a skateboard and she loves to draw marvin martian so you know the two of them connect instantly and they really could have been together from the beginning of the movie but Cher deems him you know unworthy right for her friend he's a loady he's a loady no self-respecting girl date a loady you know what i mean just you don't want to be caught dead on the grassy knoll (laughs) watching that zap rooter film (laughs) Should be in class, for Christ's sake. But, you know, you know, she she doesn't listen to her friends. And she just kind of tells them what they should be doing. Right. She kind of forces Ty into a crush on Elton, who's a scumbag. 
Elton is such a pant load. And I, you know, it's like, I, I just, yeah, that is a, a whole deal in the story that I think really, really proves your point. Because she could have been with Travis at the beginning. It would have been amazing. They would have been really happy. Thankfully, in the story, they do end up together in the end, as they should. And it's great. Yeah. But this whole forced romance with Elton, I mean, oh, God. You know? <laughs> he it's, stinks. He stinks so much. And, like, it's very funny because, you know, Elton is played by Jeremy Sisto. Mm -hmm. And when I see Jeremy Sisto, what I think about is Six Feet Under. Yeah, me too. That's the only thing I think about. Well, I also think about the movie Hideaway. Oh, yes. Which he was in when oh, he was yes. young as well. But yeah, no, I know. And it's so funny to see Sisto looking so young. Right? I've like never high had school. that. It's funny. Like, I'm just like, wow, he's young. Like, every fucking scene. I'm like, watch the movie, John. I'm like, he looks he looks really young. Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, <laughs> like, why, why is Jeremy Sisto looking so young? Like, wasn't he in Six Feet Under? You know, like, that's... Well, also, so. like, we were so young, probably, when we first saw this movie. Yeah. And now we're watching... And, you know, we're the same... We're a little bit younger than the people in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, like, Alicia Silverstone, I think, was born in 1976. So we're, like, a little bit younger than her. And so now we're watching it again as, like, 40-somethings. Right. Um, and these people all look like babies, you know, but they were older than us at the time. Yeah. Stacy Dash, who plays Dion, was actually 29. That's crazy. In this movie, trying to play a 15 or 16-year-old. I never questioned it. No, I didn't either. Never questioned I didn't either. it. It's very crazy. But... Did you know Wallace Shawn was only 20 in this? <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Hall himself. <laughs> of course. He couldn't even drink. Uh, inconceivable, you know? John. Inconceivable. inconceivable, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that it's an interesting perspective to, like, watch it because, you know, this really is of our time. Yeah. And, you know, being much older, thinking back to, like, all the slang that came out of this movie. Oh, my God. Like, as if. As if. Everybody Whatever. said that. The whatever with the W. Right. I never did the W. I don't think I did either. Never did the W. But, yeah, a lot of people thought that was really hot stuff. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. I mean, and the, the fashion in this movie is very end of high school, early college to me. It's like living plaid, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of plaid, which is huge. We needed bagpipes. <laughs> Well, it was filtered down from, like, the grunge at the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So, like, in the early 90s, the people who were wearing the plaid were, like, the grunge fan kids. Yeah. Which I was in that. Oh, yeah. But then by 95, it's, like, gone into, like, preppy clothes. So, like, the first outfit that Cher wears is that yellow plaid kind of blazer and pleated skirt outfit. And she's, you know not looking grunge at all so but plaid had like made it to that but the tiny t-shirt tops yeah yeah and the giant pants mm -hmm. like this is kind of and the big big chunky platform shoes was all stuff that i was wearing like late high school early college well i dressed preppy my whole life and then i would think i was i was tough and then you know i'd <laughs> hang out with people that were like cool clothes i never really had you know, baggy pants in a cool way. Like, my pants always sagged in the ass because I have no ass. Yeah, you're buttless. Yeah, and so I just, I showed a lot of crack starting at a young age. But it was more like plumber crack. Yeah, it was. It was very Dan Aykroyd. Crack. Yeah. 
like no one was like oh yeah they were like what is that an ass what is that did someone draw a line on his back can we pull this up yeah it was that was kind of my my experience but yeah i i get what you mean like we go from like these these solid square plaid shirts that you know i associate with like uh, nirvana pearl jam right? right and then it's like we clean it up yeah. you know it gets it gets classier well i i feel like you know that late kind of 90s into 2000s was like i felt like you were either like a fucking computer hacker or you know you were like trying out to be in sugar ray you know what i mean like <laughs> sugar ray you know i kind of feel like that was yeah. this kind of i just want to fly well girls we'll go why we'll go girls why. and guys right definitely had like different looks going like and that was something that Cher actually brings up in the movie she's like saying that the way that the guys dress she doesn't ex- understand why you're supposed to be swooning over them and stuff yeah and then of course the guy that she kind of falls for is christian mm-hmm. who was gay um, although she doesn't know, but mm-hmm. he's really cultivating like this James Dean, Luke Perry, Jason Priestley, 90210 era. Which I never realized look. until today. Well, I, I think don't know how. It's funny because, yeah, the Dion says that the reason that Cher is a virgin is because she's saving herself for Luke Perry. Right. And, yeah, when he, when Christian shows up, he does have like kind of. For me, he looks a little bit more like Jason Priestley. Mm-hmm. If Jason Priestley is like styled like Luke Perry, okay, because okay. they they have this. He has like a very fifties, like James Dean copycat look, I think. And then Christian is interested in old stuff. Yeah, he's got the, like Daddy O kind yeah. of like all right, Daddy O. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, right. he's doing old slang. He drives an old Nash. He's listening to Billie Holiday. They're going to listen to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Which, I mean, I guess that's ska, but, I mean, those guys wore, like, zoot suits and stuff. Right. That was that was something that was happening, you it's know. a weird era yeah. of music. I remember one year for a Christmas gift exchange, someone gave me a mixtape of ska music. So, that was good for me, because back then it wasn't always really that easy to get turned on to new music. You know, like, you can go on Spotify, and you'd be like, okay, what just came out? What's happening? The way I used to pick music is I would go into the the record store, the CD store, the music store, whatever we want to call it, and I would look at the album covers, mm-hmm. and I would be like, which one seems interesting to me? And that's that's how I'd pick it. Like, that's how I got um, OK Computer. Mm-hmm. I was like, this looks really interesting. And, and I was right. It didn't always work. You know, there were some duds. But, yeah, I, I mean, getting a mixtape of, like, you know, what someone considered the best of the genre at the time... You know, this new stuff. That was a real gift. Yeah. I I never really was into that kind of music that much. I tried. Mm-hmm. It was very popular oh, yeah. in, when I was in college. But it just wasn't my jam. I liked... I don't know what I listened to. I guess I listened to, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers yep. when Californication came out. Mm-hmm. And Foo Fighters I started getting into. But that was, like, later. That was, like, 99, probably. Um, in 95, I was probably just listening to, like, 80s music still. I was probably just exclusively listening to crowded house music still. Because hmm. <laughs> I like what I like. Um, but, yeah, I thought that these 
Mighty Mighty Bostos and like squirrel nut zippers oh, and wow. these yeah. weird bands like that were just weird. And I was like, I'm not sure I get this. Um, but I did think it fit into this movie mm-hmm. as something that Christian would be into. Because yeah. it has a retro vibe and it's like these people are dressing in suits and like everything is, you know turned up a notch like and that's kind of what he's into like he's into things that are artificial but not in like a fake sense but like in an artifice sense like it's art yeah so well he seems like a very educated guy he knows what's going on he's smart and when we were younger there used to be a real value in knowing older things and I don't know if that is as much of a thing now with younger people. I mean, I don't know. I'm old. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know that that is as much of a, a thing now as it used to be. Well, I think that it was different in different ways. Like, at the beginning of the movie, Cher says that her best friend is Dion and that they're both named after people who used to be famous singers and are now doing infomercials. <laughs> yeah. So she's not really, you know, into anything older. And when she first goes out with Christian, she jumps, you know, they jump in the car and he's like, do you like Billie Holiday? Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, I love him. (laughs) She doesn't know anything about this stuff. She's very much a contemporary person with contemporary concerns. Yeah. So I think that kind of just depends on the person. So one of the things here that we haven't talked about yet is how this ties into our pink theme. Yes. So, I mean, I think that for me it's because of the color palette in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very bright. And the actual word clueless comes up in pink. Yes. Um, And then there's also just a lot of pink clothes. And I would consider Cher to be kind of a very girly, feminine type of a person. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she's very into fashion, which has been the case with all of our pink movie people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, it's something where she kind of gets made fun of for those things that she's interested in, but she kind of turns it into a positive by the end. Um, she does a lot of donating and fundraising and things because she cares about people and she does want to make a difference. Part of it is to impress Josh, um, but part of it also, I think, is because she does finally catch conscience about what she's been doing and starts to understand that she needs to make a change um, after she has that big fight with Ty. Um, But yeah, I thought there was a lot of like bright color in this movie, and it's one of the things I really like about it. I love it. Like the credits at the end, you know, every other panel, you know. I think it might even be that way at the the intro as well. I mean... um, but I know it's the end. Uh, I think it is at the beginning, too. Okay. I, I love it. I love all the hyper colors. I love bright colors my whole life. I, I love those things. I've caught so much shit over the years from people about that. Like, really, like, snide comments like, you really like bright colors. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I Internally, like, you know, the, the inner, you know, quipster, you know, is so quick, wants to say well, why don't you go fuck yourself? (laughs) You know, that's always, that's right there on the tip of the tongue, but you can't really let that fly. Um, I I don't know what the hell that means. You know what I mean? But I Well, I I mean, it it sounds uh, kind of dismissive, the way that you're saying it, but what's wrong with that? I mean, you have like a nice pink shirt on right now, and it looks awesome. (laughs) I know. I love it. I love this stuff. I I love bright colors. That's something that 
that's really big for and me. it was popular in the 90s to wear brights like you know highlighter colors oh were yeah like the big deal lime green bright yeah. orange Love. yellow pink Love. you know that electric kind of blue that was of our time that's what people used to wear yeah i i thought it was neat and so i i still i still continue with the bright colors you yeah. know i um i don't know it's it's nice though it's nice it's vibrant some people like pork pie hats i like vibrant <laughs> colors what can i tell well, you well that's okay and then they and you actually look really good in bright colors thank um, you so why not thank wear you. them i mean eh. people there's always going to be people that just want to wear black all the time or just need to wear you know conservative looks but you're not a particularly conservative personality so no it makes sense to me to kind of do what you want Right. Yeah, well, and and the the costumes in this movie are very cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of color involved. Sometimes you know people are wearing darker colors. Sometimes, most specifically, the person that I find to be dressing the most dull is Elton. He's always wearing black, gray, or white, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Well, I think it's to show that he doesn't really have much imagination or personality. Yeah. This is a person that will just buy a shirt because it costs a certain amount of money and it's by a certain designer. Yeah. And he doesn't want to stretch himself with thinking, oh, what do I need to put on? So it's like, what is the easiest combination? What did I yeah. see in the store? Yeah. What well, do I know to be safe colors? And he is conservative mentally because like what he says to share, you know, when he explains why he doesn't like Ty and he doesn't mm. want to be with Ty, he wants to be with her. Right. Is because, he, you know, he and Ty don't make sense. And he just talks about, like, you know who my father is, you know who I am. So he's very all about, you know, the social strata and being in the right place with the right person, which is kind of old-fashioned in a way. Well, speaking of old-fashioned, you know, and I, I agree with you, that it's very like, what's up with this guy? You're a teenager, but you're acting like you're a thousand years old and the worst. This is, uh, so this is based on Emma by Jane yes. Austen. Yes. So since you know Jane Austen, you know, I'm just a guy that's been in Pride and Prejudice and barely remembered what the fuck it was about <laughs> until I yes, watched but... the movie again. And Emma, I think I saw the movie. Oh, yeah, I did. We I saw the, the Anya... one from a couple years ago with Anya Taylor-Joy. Loved that one. And then and excellent. Then, then there was the Gwyneth Paltrow one I saw before. I believe it came out a year after, this, after Clueless. I think you're right. I think you're right because I think I read a piece of trivia about that, that um, the same production company owns Clueless and the Emma that came out a year later. Okay. And I, I th believe this was Paramount. So I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. Well, yeah. So this was based on Emma. And I saw this before I read or saw Emma. Um, so for me, this was my first kind of intro to the story. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in my last year of college, which would have been 99 to 2000, I read Emma for a Jane Austen seminar. So actually that was my last semester of college, which would have been January to May of 2000. So I read Emma having had clueless in my head probably yeah. for like four years. And I was, I had heard, okay, you know, that this is kind of an adaptation and I was kind of skeptical about that. Okay. Um, but then when I read Emma, I was like, holy crap. Um, because it's very faithful, honestly, to the book. I mean, you have this character who 
is this rich girl who is privileged and she kind of is in this position where she feels like she needs to help other people Mm -hmm. who are less fortunate than her and she's also very into like matchmaking yeah um she starts out the book thinking that she's made a match between this mrs weston who used to be her governess type person Mm -hmm. and this other this man who they've just gotten married so in a way that kind of lines up with mrs geist and wallace sean's character i believe his name is wendell hall yeah so that's kind of like the westons um who are married at the beginning of the book so Emma goes on to befriend this very much lower class girl, Harriet Smith, which is Ty. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty has a relationship already with a farmer um, named Robert Martin, but Emma gets it into her head that Harriet is way too good for that, and she doesn't know who her parents were. She doesn't know who her father was, and Emma is like, "Well, he must have been, you know, landed gentry because you're so sophisticated and all this stuff," which is not true at all. Okay. Um, and she kind of leads Harriet to make a lot of mistakes and think she's better than she is. And, you know, I'm not saying as a person, but I'm saying socially, which, of course, as important as that was in Clueless, it's way more important in Emma, which is, you know, set in the 1800s when it was very big deal who your parents were and what class you're in and all this type of stuff. Um, and over the course of the book... Emma gets more and more brazen with how she's behaving, um, with trying to control everyone around her and have them do things, and to the point where she ends up very much insulting this very nice person, um, and that's kind of her change moment, where she says something really off-the-cuff rude, thinking that she's being clever, in front of everyone, but mm-hmm. really it humiliates this woman who is really nothing but a nice person. And it she goes on to have to kind of change herself after that. She realizes the error of her ways, and she ends up, um, you know, just apologizing, trying to do things differently, fixing the mistakes that she's made so that Harriet and Mr. Martin end up together and they get married. And... She, over the course of it, ends up with her cousin, Mr. Knightley, um, who is this guy who has always been a close family friend. So that's kind of like the Josh part. So I thought it was an interesting choice that they made um, for how to translate that into modern day. Because back, you know, in the 1800s, marrying your cousin was kind of like, whatever, it's just a thing that happened, Mm. you know. But nowadays we would be like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And in this, they made Josh into, like, her stepbrother, but they weren't really um, step-siblings anymore. They'd only been step-siblings for a very short amount of time, and he had just maintained a relationship with her father and stayed as a family friend. He's still significantly older than her, but not in the way that Mr. Knightley and Emma were in the book. I believe that there was, like, a over-20-year age gap between oh, wow. Emma and Mr. Knightley in that, the book. That wasn't reflected in the Anya Taylor-Joy Emma, as I recall. Um, no. I mean, I think that kind of what we're to think, and I could be wrong, I probably should not even say it, but to revisit, I think that, like, we're to, we're to think that Emma was around early 20s 
and Mr. Knightley was like mid to late thirties. Hmm. Um, but I don't know that that was exactly the difference in the newer Emma. I mean, the Mr. Knightley from the newer Emma certainly had a more youthful sense about him. Yeah. Um, I actually loved that guy. I thought he was easily the best Mr. Knightley I've ever seen. Really, really good. I highly recommend that movie. Oh, I love it. I mean, that's another 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah. And, you know, generally speaking, I'm not a guy that falls head over heels with period pieces. No, you hate them, and you really, you know, it's like trying to get pull teeth to get you to watch a Jane Austen movie, but you really enjoyed that one. Well, when I take my head out of my ass, you know, <laughs> you know, I loved the the Pride and Prejudice uh, BBC series with Colin Firth. That was amazing. Yeah, it was great. I, I'm a huge fan of the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. Excellent movie as you know, well. I'm also a huge fan of the new Emma. I, I thought it was excellent start to finish. You I know. did too. And Emma was not my favorite book. Um, I've read all of Jane Austen's books because I did the seminar. And Emma was not my least favorite. That would be Mansfield Park. Um, but Emma was probably next on my list. Um, I didn't really like the character of Emma um, very much. She's not super likable. And Jane Austen actually knew that. Um, huh. She said in a letter, I'm, I'm working on a novel where nobody's going to like this the main character except for me. Interesting. Um, but, you know, I think that she grows on you. And it's interesting because you have this character who isn't easy. Like, this book coming after Pride and Prejudice, like, Elizabeth Bennet is just kind of a superstar, um, she's great. Like her mistakes are limited and minimal and you still really like her regardless. Mm -hmm. But Emma really delves deep into being unlikable, um, because she is so controlling yeah. and pushy and you can just see her manipulating people all the time throughout the book. And the same thing does happen in this. I mean, Cher, I think they managed to lighten it a little bit because um, Cher is kind of clueless and you can kind of see that. That's what I felt. You see, the things that she did, I felt like, you know, it's like when you're you're younger. You know, I did a lot of things when I was younger. I was like, oh, I'm doing the right thing, you know, by doing this. But really, it is it is a situation where it's like you're putting yourself up on a pedestal to be like, look at what I've done. Well, and I can tend to be that kind of a person, too. I think you and I both can. Yeah. We kind of, <laughs> unfortunately, have kind of this attitude that we know better sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's definitely times when I've been a complete, insufferable, pain-in-the-ass know-it-all. Yeah. And been trying to tell people how to do things. And... I should have just left well enough alone and let them figure it out because even letting somebody make their own mistakes matters because mm -hmm. sometimes that's the only way people learn. And if you're going around like pushing people to do this, that, and the other, it's, it's not a nice thing to do. And no. I think that's kind of a good lesson for somebody like myself because I do actually relate to share in this. Um, I can see myself, in high school, you know, I, we were not the same type. I wasn't rich and I wasn't preppy. 
But I was like in charge of everything. I was like the president of every group. And I've like, seen your yearbook. Yes. <laughs> that was one of the funny things that happened when we were down in Mississippi last month. Um, is that my mom had my old yearbooks from junior and senior year. And I was like on every page yeah. of my senior yearbook. Yep. And John was like, uh, wow, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. So, yeah, I could definitely relate to, you know, being a kind of person like Cher who, you know, thinks that, you know, she's kind of better than people and kind of wants to improve people. Because, unfortunately, the, I have been like that in my past. And I don't, you know, I'm not super proud of that. Um, but it's something I just have to go ahead and admit. Like, that's who I am. Sometimes I think I know better. And I try to push people to do something different when... Honestly, I should just let people make their own decisions. So, you know, I have gotten better as I've gotten older. But Same. I look, I I had I had similar experiences, and then, you know, being a director only further reinforces this idea that you're always right with what people should do. So, I, I get it, and it, it's something where you know you just kind of want to be okay. You know, hands off, Jack. You know what I mean? You are not taking care of everything. And, you know, it's like if you had the ability to make everything happen that you thought was right, guess what? It may not be the right thing. So it's, yeah, it's a real lesson uh, that's learned. And I love that in Clueless, she actually has this realization. And again, we have redemption, which I like. We have a real change in character for the positive. Yeah. When she decides to go ahead and work for this Pismo Beach Relief. Yes. You know, she works for this drive. She's going through all of her things. She's bringing out all of this ski gear. <laughs> yeah. You know, all these things. And you can imagine that she's a person that always would be down for any opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to go skiing. You know, I've got the skis. I've got the clothes. I've got this. I've got that. What she's doing by volunteering, you know, for Miss Geist is wonderful because she's actually putting her faith in Miss Geist as, you know, a teacher and saying, hey, you're saying I should do something good. I was pushing you to do something. You know what? I am actually going to go the other way. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to apply myself. And she starts thinking about other people's needs. Yes. Rather than just driving everyone based on what she thinks that their needs should be. Yes, and she is able to use all these organizational skills, these leadership skills to organize donations and just galvanize this effort to help people. Yeah. So it's, you know, I do find that this film has a lot of similarities with Legally Blonde. You yeah. know, we have a very intelligent woman who's also popular that uses her skills for good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she gets to the point where, you know, she does have all these privileges over other people, and she ends up actually using it for good. She thinks she's using it for good at the beginning, with, like, making over time and trying to lift her out of, like, you know, her social class into another social class. But that's really not helping. At it's the selfish. End, yeah, it is. And at the end, she is helping. She is using her you know many abilities yeah for a good reason for a good cause and again her perspective has shifted where she's actually thinking about what people need rather than trying to place her needs onto them 
And she also applies it with her father. Mm-hmm. With Dan Hedaya, who I love. He's wonderful. And everything. And in this, yeah, he's just, he's such a great dad. He's this super lawyer who can argue anything. And yeah. you love it. What she does throughout the film is she's trying to get him to treat himself better. He's trying to get him to have, you know, like the juice drink or to have <laughs> like the healthy food, which he doesn't want any part of. And then at the end of the movie, she actually goes and sees that he's working very hard and says, hey, I want to work for you, Dad, to help you out. Yeah, and also, you know, he turns around and tells her that she is a good person and that she has been doing things that help other people. I think that her relationship with her dad is a very major thing in this, um, and also in Emma in general. Um, Emma is very close to her father, and Cher is also very close to her father. There's no mother in the picture. Cher says her mom died when she was a baby. And so her whole life, she's just grown up with her dad and he, his needs and wants are part of what forms her personality, right? Like she's always arguing to improve her grades. Right. It's just a base. What does she say? It's just a jumping off point for negotiations. Yes. Um, and he's proud of her for that because that's what his value is. You know, he thinks that she should be able to argue and that she should be able to negotiate and do these types of things and that she shouldn't accept a first offer. Um, so that's something where, you know, she believes that and it's part of who she is. But as she goes on, she understands that that like needs to be tempered by putting in the work effort from the beginning, which her dad does. Right. You know, he works very hard um, as a lawyer, and Josh helps him, you know, and Cher ends up helping him as well. But he's so great, this whole movie. He's so funny when Christian shows up to take her out. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, super quotable. Really funny. He says he has a, 40, a 45 and a shovel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, he's funny. Okay. <laughs> he says, "He says, did you think Sammy Davis dying left an opening in the in the Rat Pack?" <laughs> I think that was our biggest laugh of the movie. Well, it's I mean, it's so good because he's just so raw and he's so quick. Yeah, and it's just such a versatile actor. I mean, everything that you see him in. Oh yeah, it's funny. It's serious. It's in between. Can't, can't believe this is the same guy from Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, and he's so funny, like. <laughs> He comes home to dinner, and Ty and Cher are at the table. And Cher's like, Daddy, this is my friend Ty. And he's like, get out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells Cher, no phone calls at the table. And then his phone rings, and he starts taking a call. Very funny. It's just great. Well, and it also works, because if her major influence in life was her father, right? Because I believe they said the mother died in a liposuction yeah, accident. A freak liposuction accident. <laughs> right. So she has a father that's a lawyer. And so getting your own way, having this single-minded point of view that you want to drive everyone towards, I mean, that's there. Yeah. You see you see your father do it all the time. That's what you would want to do, too. Yeah. And, I mean, he is critical of her. Um, in the book, Emma, I felt like the father never was that critical. He was always just very supportive of anything that she wanted to do. But in this, I think his the father character is always driving her to work harder and do better. He wants her to have 
you know, he wants her to get her license and he wants her to not get tickets and he right. wants her to be a really smart and functional young woman. And I think that's a good thing. It's it's fantastic because he's a very loving father, but he's also a gruff person. That's yeah. just who he is. Yeah. You know, and I've known people like this before. Brilliantly played. Brilliantly And he's played. also super lovable in another way because Josh, you know, isn't his stepson anymore. Right. And Cher actually complains about this and she's like, she's, he's not your stepson anymore. And he's like, you divorce the person, you don't divorce their children. <laughs> You know, so he still feels like a commitment to being like a father figure for the Paul Rudd, Josh character. And Josh clearly, clearly appreciates that because his current stepdad sucks. I mean, he says like his current stepdad's idea of fun is like, you know, criticizing him. And he doesn't get that from Cher's dad. Cher's dad is like, you know, super supportive of him. And he does say, like, why do you want to do environmental law when you could do corporate? Mm. Um, but that's really just trying to get him to work with them, you know? It's less like, you know, he's actually criticizing him. He really supports Josh, and I think that's a cool thing. Well, here's an interesting piece of trivia. So Paul Rudd's first movie was Halloween 6, but that actually was released after this. So this is the first movie that came out with Paul Rudd that, that we saw. And it's like, wow, like this is, you know, the opening of Paul Rudd. And it's like <laughs> we have everything right here. He's got a romantic lead. Yeah. It says that he actually auditioned for uh, like all the other guys in the story, like three of the other guys That's he auditioned so for. Yeah. So it's like, wow, do you know what I mean? Like, I believe he auditioned for uh, Elton, Murray, um, I, I don't maybe the, the Travis character, I'd have to look. But it was like, yeah, it was like three other guys in this, three other characters he auditioned for. So it was just like, what? But Paul Rudd, it's like, Josh is like the Paul Rudd template role. Yes. Like, he just is that character. It's amazing. And, like, here's something fully fucking idiotic that I just want to enjoy <laughs> with you. So, the great thing about, like, Paul Rudd's name is, if you take his last name and you just change the first letter, okay, you can go through, like, the entire <laughs> alphabet, and it pretty much works, right? So, here we go. Ud, Bud, Cud, Dud, Eud. Fud, Gud, Hud. That's when he's evil. <laughs> Paul Hud is evil. Paul Hud. Yeah, right. It's just okay. like yeah, like Paul Newman, Paul Hud, right? <laughs> and then you also have Paul Eud. That sounds like maybe he had like a Scottish <laughs> situation, like a Yo and like Yo and Griffud, okay. right? Paul Judd, the country star, <laughs> right? Okay. Paul Cud with a K. So that sounds more like I don't know, crawl. It's, or something. I was thinking about I was thinking about a pirate uh, as Cud with the K. Captain Cud. <laughs> yeah. Captain Paul Cud. And I was thinking like with the C Cud, I was thinking more of a farmer. Okay. You <laughs> like know? a cow. Yeah, like he's he's out there milking. <laughs> like a dairy farmer. Exactly, right? <laughs> and then you have Paul Ludd. Paul Ludd, of course, you know, was in the Dark Tower. <laughs> you know, that was him, you know. Like a deformed underground dwelling, Paul. Yes, that's Paul Ludd. Okay. Paul Mudd, right? Like Mudd's women from Star Trek. Very good, very good. Got Paul it. Nudd. 
Paul Nudd. That sounds bad. <laughs> Paul Nudd is like a guy that you see <laughs> kind of, you know, like on the street and you just kind of see him in the distance, you know, and you're like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Paul Owud, you know, that's kind of like a robotic Paul <laughs> Rudd. Okay. okay. <laughs> right? Like you pull the the face off and it's just all machinery underneath. Yeah, that's Owud. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Still very romantic. You know, very charismatic, <laughs> fun guy. I don't know about <laughs> where we're going next. <laughs> Paul Pudd, of course, is an adult film star. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely it, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? The Many Lives of Paul Pudd. Oh, Very popular. <laughs> uh, I, I heard that it received high marks in all the adult oh trades, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then you have Paul Quud. <laughs> that's like Quaid from... Uh... That's like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. yeah. in Total Recall. Yes. Yeah, we, we just go Paul straight. Quid. Yeah, that's Paul Quad. Okay, then we have regular old Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. We're very familiar Standard. with him. Paul Sud. <laughs> he's the Maytag repairman. <laughs> I'll take that. I also thought he was just a person that really enjoyed a good bubble bath. Okay, maybe. You know. And he enjoys a beer while he's in the bath. So okay. it's like, like, like Suds sud. on Suds. Yeah, exactly. On Suds. Right? Paul Tud. <laughs> you, Paul... <laughs> I don't have much with Tud. <laughs> Paul Tud actually works on a tugboat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, okay. It's Tud's tug. Okay. okay. You know? Yeah, and he wears, like, overalls. Yeah. That's, that's a uniform. Okay. Not to be confused with the pirate. This is a lot more no, no, like... No, no, no. This is a working man. Yeah. This is a lot more it's like... a union member. It's right. longshoreman. Paul Tud. Paul Udd? Yeah. Paul Udd is a guy that is actually from Denmark. I was going to say, like, a European, like, mathematician, Paul Udd. Yes. Udd's theorem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Udd's theorem of relativity, <laughs> Udd's theorem of flight, yes. Udd's theorem of connectivity. Yes. You know, Professor Udd, <laughs> very, very great. Okay, well, that's we're really on the same page with that one. I love that. Okay. Paul Vud <laughs> is a vampire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to was, drink your Vud. I thought it was going to be like south african or something I don't oh know. tell me about that Paul i don't Vard. know i didn't really know like maybe uh you know explorer I, I have no idea but i think the vampire makes more sense yeah paul vud from transylvania yeah you know he again he still is like a nice person you know what i mean he's like a nice vampire that'll come up to you and he'll be like you'll have kind of a fun night out with him you know what i mean you'll shoot some dice play yeah. some cards have and some then laughs he'll, like suck your blood out and eat you and kill you pretty much okay but you're cool with that because it's paul Vaughn. yeah and it's like you probably he's think, friendly he's a nice guy when he says i want to drink your vud you just kind of think oh you know yeah, what i mean he's funny paul. you old, know how it is paul you know yeah paul wood it's like elmer fudd's cousin paul wood <laughs> paul what are you doing paul wood paul wood 
Paul Wood is... I don't know if I'd go there. Well, Paul Wood. Oh, shit. Yeah, like... <laughs> you know, like, Elmer Fudd was a hunter, right? And Paul Wood actually is, is like, the, the stuffer, you know? Oh, He's... the taxidermist. Yes. Okay, okay. That's what Paul Wood... I got it. Right? I don't know what happens with an axe. Okay. Paul Zud. With an axe. Though. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Paul Zud is an alien. Alien, yes. Yes. I fully agree with you. I was totally going to say he's an alien. It's like the xenomorph <laughs> from Alien, but it has... Oh, my God. It has the, the Paul Zud face so it's like you know it's like imagine the xenomorph and you know how it has that kind of tongue or other thing yes. that shoots out with the other face yes that little face that comes out is paul's uh correct oh wow all right so like if you see him it's probably end of days for you <laughs> you're in trouble paul yud <laughs> paul yud is like a really nice politician in burlington mm. vermont Okay. You know, he, like, goes to a pancake breakfast every Sunday <laughs> with all of his friends, <laughs> you know? It's kind of like the Burlington, Vermont version of, like, Kyle McLaughlin from Portlandia. <laughs> that that would be wonderful. Excellent. Yes. Okay. I would take that. I mean, that's better than Paul Rudd's politician character on Parks and Rack. Oh, yeah. It was just really stupid, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got and, it. And then very last, Paul, Paul Zud. Paul Zud. With a Z. Yeah. Paul Zud is the negation of oh. Paul Rudd. Uh-oh. All of the qualities that we admire about Paul Rudd are gone and replaced with the exact opposite in Paul Zud. Wow. Yeah. So he, he ages quickly. Yeah. He's non-charismatic. Mm-hmm. Unfriendly. Nope, he's not nice at all. Evil. Uh-huh. Paul Zud's bad news. You don't run want to run into Paul Zud. Paul Zud runs like a really heavy rep biker gang. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. He has like a double-barrel shotgun that's sawed off that he keeps under the table. <laughs> you know, no. he'll invite you into the house and he'll just be holding on <laughs> to that shotgun. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if he doesn't like it, you're, you're, you're done. You're Zud. Zud shoots first. He always does. Yeah. So that was my little talk <laughs> on Paul Rudd. And that's, that's what I was thinking about throughout the film. Like he is so great in this and all of his movies, I big fan you know yeah, i love was, you man you know i'll do that any I, day ant-man is great he's great in it role models Ant-Man, role models we love yeah yeah paul rudd is like a great actor he's mm -hmm. just like your friend yeah like your friend paul rudd and we have clueless to thank for like introducing paul rudd to us because yeah. nobody watched halloween six yeah I, like i saw <laughs> halloween six because i know i saw all of them for the life of me, I don't remember him in it. I don't remember what happened. I might have to. I might have to just take a quick peek. You well, know, I might check it out for the rud of it all. <laughs> for the love of rud. Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to like swing back around and actually talk about Clueless soon. <laughs> well, um, but that was a very enjoyable sidebar on 
the alphabetical road. I enjoyed that. That was awesome. Well, it was fun to play with you because we just really got to go wild, and that's really what fun. I like. Hopefully Paul Rudd will hear it. He would enjoy it as well. I hope so. Um, okay, so... Let me throw in one more thing. Not Paul Rudd. Okay. But this I want to bring up. Very quick. Let's go through the things that Legally Blonde and Clueless have in common. Okay. Okay. So, we have an intelligent, rich, powerful woman. Yes, and I actually, side note, I believe Reese Witherspoon went out for the role of Cher. Yes, it says, I, I read something that said in 2020 in a podcast, she actually revealed that she did audition for this. Which is hilarious because, I mean, Elle Woods is really just like a different kind of version of Cher. Like, it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the main characters are super similar in a lot of ways. And that's number one. Mm-hmm. I think, like, uh, they there's like this whole lawyer kind of aspect. Correct. Because, you know, Elle is in law school. And Cher is, like, kind of working for her dad, who is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole thing with that. There's a real connection, I would say, between, like, the Paul Rudd and Luke Wilson characters in each. Yeah. There... Uh, I think that... This is more of like a romantic comedy, so that romance aspect kind of becomes more uh, central to the plot than it is in Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. But there is like a relationship with a guy who appreciates our main character for who she is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We also have like the big case in Legally Blonde, mm-hmm. which Cher ends up on. And in this. L. Oh. <laughs> See? They're so close. They're very similar. They're so close. So, okay. So, in Legally Blonde, L ends up on the big case. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in this, Cher ends up helping her father and the other lawyers with these phone calls. Yeah. You know, with, with the documentation. That's like her big pull into, you know, this kind of world. Yeah. Because this isn't something that she usually does. Yes, but... She does have, like, this negotiating tactics and the arguing type of thing that her father has taught her is, like, a good thing to do. Yes. We also have in both films, both Elle and Cher manipulate. Mm -hmm. And it's done, you know, I would say, under the, the guise of goodness. In most cases, you know, it all works out. I would say that Elle Woods doesn't really have the selfish motives and in helping people in meddling no i feel that share though does she does yeah and then she learns to change as like a central part of her journey she learns to change and do things more from a a perspective of trying to actually help people but l does l they're both about helping people they both do want to help people for whatever reason, they both have like a ditzy kind of best friend mm-hmm. because Ty is kind of ditzy mm-hmm. and so is um, the Jennifer Coolidge character. And her friends. Yeah. And her friends, you know, it's... And they're kind of shallow at the beginning and, you know, there's fashion is like their number one thing. It's like a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, these are things that usually are looked at as a negative but this movie, again, like Legally Blonde, shows you how some of those things can be positive. Yes. And I think that's cool. Well, and it also shows you in both films, you know, both lead characters 
find the best versions of themselves in the end. Yes. You know, and that's that's what I love is that like you get people being who they are. They're happy. And because they're happy, they're putting out like a really good energy that just kind of surrounds them. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, and they are doing things to help people actively. But I feel like when you're in harmony with yourself, there's this peace and there's this joy. Yeah. And that... Well, and that's one thing I really did love about the end of this movie mm-hmm. is after Cher kind of has her moment where she realizes that she needs to make a change. Yeah. She looks at all her friends from an objective perspective. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at them and thinking what she wants to do to fix them, she looks at them and thinks what it is about them that makes them special. Yes. And then she wants to learn from that. You know, she looks at Dion and Murray and says, you know, that she realizes that when nobody else is around watching them, they're very considerate to each other Mm -hmm. and how nice that is. Yeah. And she looks at her friend Christian and she realizes how much he loves art and he loves beautiful things, Mm -hmm. you know, and she goes to the museum with him and is learning from him, Mm -hmm. you know, and then she becomes appreciative of Ty even as well for like how innocent, you know, and, and enthusiastic and everything that she is. And she even looks at, like, you know, Travis, because Travis brings things to donate to the relief effort, including his bong, (laughs) 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 which is not necessarily appropriate, but he's, you know, being selfless in that moment, and she sees him in a different light, instead of just thinking him as, like, this loser burnout skater guy, she sees that, you know, Travis actually is kind of cool and kind of a decent human, you know, and she realizes that keeping him apart from Ty was not a cool thing for her to do. No. What I also think is very interesting with the character of Travis is how we learn when he donates that bong that he's actually joined a 12-step program. And he's completely, you know, decided to change the way that he's doing things. He's doing things sober now. And he's got his sole focus on skateboarding. Yes. And he's scared. You know, when we go to see him, like, actually skate, when he's at the top of the pipe, he's, like, the half pipe, he's, like, freaking out. Yeah. You know, but then he, like, just drops in, he does his best, and he makes a good score, you know? And he's really proud of himself and really happy, and it's really cool. He's actually, like, dark horse candidate for my favorite character in this movie. Yeah. And I think Brecken Meyer is perfect. Oh, he's excellent. You he's know? so funny. He has that whole scene uh, where he gets up and gives a monologue. <laughs> About the tardies. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, the 38 tardies, and he thanks everyone like it's an Oscars, yeah. you know, acceptance speech. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that's hilarious. That was very funny. He thanks the bus. He thanks McDonald's. He also tries to, like, jump out the window, even though it's like a first-story window, <laughs> when he gets his report card. Um, I think he's very, very great. It's a good example of how a great minor character kind of can shine in the movie, and he does a really good job. Well, and I also think the chemistry that he has with Brittany Murphy is amazing. Yes. When they first meet in the cafeteria line... Mm-hmm. They you it's instantly believable. Yeah, and I mean Brittany Murphy, you know she's been gone for a while now. I'm like, oh my god, that's right, because she was in so many movies and she was always excellent. She's so good. I don't know if this is like the first thing I 
that she was in, but it's the first thing I really remember her in, and Same. literally no one could have been better than her. No. She's perfect as Ty, because she is so, like, innocent in a certain way, which is funny, because, like, she shows up at the school, like, looking for dope from, like, minute one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we have, you know, in the cafeteria, we have, we're, she's like, I don't think that we have tea, but, like, we have we have coke and she's like you have coke like she thinks they mean cocaine yeah and so i mean she's not exactly the most innocent person as far as actual life stuff goes but as far as personality she is like this very innocent soul you know who doesn't really know what it's like to be in this kind of viper pit that this high school is no and she has a real journey too yeah. You know, they give her the makeover, right? And her personality changes as well, yes. you know? And it becomes that she is actually the top of the heap. It's no longer Cher. She's the most popular person in school. Yes. You know, and she has that scene where those goofballs, I mean, what the fuck are they doing? Hang like hanging her, her over the balcony of this mall. Right. And I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, and Christian, you know, steps in and takes care of it. But it's something where, you know, it's a, a terrible, scary story, but it's just like the telephone game. Yes, you know, of it course. just keeps building up. And the high school people make it so much more dramatic. And then, you know, everybody's like crowded around her listening. And then this other girl that's kind of been one of their tangential friends is like, oh my God, is it true that like gang members like <laughs> held up Ty at the mall or whatever? They were going to shoot her. You know? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's, that makes me laugh because I remember you know, those things in high school where you would have, you know, a story yeah. and, and it just kept getting bigger and everybody needed to hear it. And then she's milking it for all it's worth too. But I mean, that's kind of what she'd been taught, you know, by Cher. Yeah. And I think that's what breaks Cher finally is that, you know, she realizes that she's kind of cloned herself here yeah. and she sees herself in a different light because she sees Ty in a different light, that's what really like jars her out of this complacency that she has. Well, and and then from that, what we have, you know, is they they you know have kind of a blow up, you mm -hmm. know, because it comes to a head, and in the end, you know, Ty finds herself. Yeah. And she is who she is. It's like it's a, it, it she's not the same character that we saw at the beginning. She's definitely not the creation of Dion and Cher anymore. She's kind of like. I don't know, somewhere in the middle, but with something else. It's like, like a synthesis, plus she's more confident within herself. It's like what she took from Cher and Dion was this confidence that it was okay to be herself. Yeah. And so that's what she is more at the end of the movie, you know, and she's with Travis, who she really likes, and he really likes her. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's great. It's so great. Well, it's, yeah, because you have Travis who's sober, he's happy, he's doing what he loves. You know, you have Ty who seems to be happy. You know yeah. what I mean? Genuinely happy. She doesn't seem to be timid or scared, like you said. And, and she has her style back, too. Yes. You know, she's like wearing jeans and a little polo shirt or whatever. It's just back to being herself. Rather than just wearing, like, these plaid, you know, sets like Cher would wear. Right. And it just makes more sense. It's like she's who she is, and that's who she should be. Yeah. It's, 
Well, and, and you see just share breaking out of that God complex. Yeah. And that's really what it is. That's really what it, it is. is. She made someone in her image. It's exactly what it is. It's That's crazy. Yeah. It, you know, I, wow. Well, so here's another one. So Amy Heckerling wrote and directed this. Okay. She's amazing. She went to NYU and then she went to AFI. Okay. And she did Fast Times at Ridgemont High, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure she wrote, and I know she directed as well. Another huge high school movie. Yeah. Now, both Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless ended up as television shows for a while. Oh, that's interesting. Right. She also was the person that came up with the idea for Look Who's Talking. Oh, wow. Yes. And there was a show called Baby Talk. I don't know how long it lasted that was kind of like, you know, the look who's talking thing. Wow. So this is a very, very smart person. She also directed Johnny Dangerously, the Michael Keaton, Joe Piscopo movie in the that 80s. That was always on the Comedy Central when I was in college. Right? Yeah. Hilarious. Excellent timing. And, uh, yeah, the comedic timing in that is wonderful. And they're talking so fast. Yeah. <clears throat> but she is so smart when it comes to making these high school films. Excellent, excellent job, because the whole thing is, of course, every high school movie is like the people are not in high school. You know, they're always like in their 20s or something. But she does such a great job making it seem like these are high school kids with high school concerns mm -hmm. and like having that limited kind of little worldview that high schoolers have. Yeah. You know, and when they have to challenge themselves out of that, it's so difficult. Like the scene where... Dion accidentally drives onto the freeway. Oh, that's so funny. Which is really funny. That's so good. It's like they're going into, like, you know, storm the beach at Normandy or something. <laughs> they're so terrified, and it's so wild. And, I mean, having driven on the freeways in L.A., I get it. Yeah, it's horrible. I think about this all the time, actually. I think about, you know, I learned to drive in Mississippi in the middle of nowhere, you know, and mm. I used to just drive all over the place, and it was great. But I've, I'm always, like, thinking about people who live in the city and are trying to learn to drive in LA oh, wow. or New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, how do you even do that? I've known people that have done it and it seems like, oh my God. Like, I don't know that I would, I was so nervous when I took my uh, driving test that the instructor like kind of gave me the business, gave me like this, you know, moment to, to snap out of it. Cause you could tell I was really nervous. And he goes, stop the car. And he goes, look, you have to calm down. You have to calm down right now or you're not going to pass this. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God. I know he did that to, like, you know, get me to come back, but it just scared the shit out of me more, honestly. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm an actor. My I got my shit together and I did it. My driving test was so minimal that I'm concerned that other people had that driving test and got a license from it. <laughs> because literally all I had to do was drive around the block. Yeah. I made, like... I drove out of a parking lot, like out of a diagonal parking spot. Yeah. Drove around a block, just taking left turn, then a right, 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 and then drove back into the same parking space. That's all I did. Wow. I didn't have to parallel park. I didn't have to do anything. Wow. I just drove like half a mile, and that's it. And they're like, all right, you're good. I'm like, uh... Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Ready to go. I mean, I had already taken driver's education, and I'd been driving since I was like 13. Yeah. So I knew how to drive, but I was like, wow, that was it. Yikes. 
I mean, unlike Cher, who, like, smashes into parked cars during her driver's test. Ooh, good trivia. Okay. So, the DMV guy, okay, the DMV instructor, test guy, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. is actually the cousin of Jerry Orbach. Really? What? Yes. That's just so out of left field. It's bizarre. <laughs> I was just like, so what? so funny. Right? Oh, my God. I thought the guy was good, too. I was like, I'm going to look this guy up. I wonder what else he did. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, it was like Ron Orbach. Oh. Yeah, all the acting in this was uniformly excellent. Excellent, yeah. Amy Heckerling is an amazing director. She's an amazing writer. Oh, and it said in a piece of trivia on IMDb that when uh, she wrote Clueless, what she thought about was that back in high school, she had read Emma and she really liked it. Yeah. And so that was kind of her inspiration. I mean, I don't, I have said this many times and I think it still stands that this is one of the best modernized adaptations of a, a, a period kind of novel or, or anything that I've ever seen. Yes. Like it's so perfect. I mean, everything about it is very faithful to the source material, but at the same time, if you don't know Emma or you're not, you know, familiar with it, you can enjoy this movie on its own. It doesn't need to just be an adaptation of Emma. It is fantastically done. I think this is like anyone that's going to do an adaptation that's updated would do anything. They couldn't do better than watching this to see how she took that story and updated it. It's just so great. This movie, 10 out of 10, I saw it long before I knew anything about Emma at all. Yeah. And I have watched it so many times. I never get tired of it. Even as we talk about it now, I'm like, you know, I could go and watch it again. (laughs) Anytime it's on TV, I would do it. Yeah. I just feel that all the characters are perfect. I feel that the story is perfectly tight-knit. Yeah. It's an hour and 37 minutes. When I'm watching, when I want to watch an Emma adaptation, this is kind of my top one. Like, I would probably, except for the fact that I just love that newer one that came out in in 2020, I guess. I love that movie so much that that's probably become my top Emma adaptation. But really, Clueless held the spot the entire time. Uh, since, you know, I'd rather watch Clueless than any other adaptation of Emma until the most recent one. I adore the most recent Emma, but I think Clueless wins for me. And I, I respect that totally. Because it's, just, it's, it's our it's, generation, yeah, and, and that's what's so perfect. The music, the fashion, the characters, the acting. Yeah. The, the people who are in this movie, not just Paul Rudd, but a lot of the other people who are in this... If it wasn't their first movie, it was one of their very earliest movies. And they've gone on to, like, have these huge careers. Yeah. And all of them are great. And, it, you know, it's just a testament to how good the casting was, the writing, and the directing on this movie, that these people are so great. And Amy Heckerling actually is an extra in this. She's a maid of honor at the wedding. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll have to go back and watch. It's very quick. I knew yeah. who she was. But it's like you don't even really get a good shot of her. Yeah. Someone said that like during the actual uh, bouquet grab, she's in there too. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't looking for her in that shot. I was more looking at Cher. Okay. Because I knew it was like, oh, she has she to get She wants to win it. the money. Right. Yeah. So that was like, 
you know, what uh, what I read. But a piece of trivia said something like, you know, that Amy Heckerling is in this bouquet grab and she's the one that's just causing a lot of All trouble. All the trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's awesome. And I love it when, like, a really talented director makes, like, a Hitchcock-like cameo of course. That's in their great. film. Yeah, I love that. So it's, that's just, like, the cherry on top for me. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's great. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about in this movie? Wow. I mean... I think we've covered oh. a lot of ground. <laughs> this is... Okay. This is funny. This is poking a hole. Okay. So, Cher, after she leaves Elton's car because of these unwanted advances, and because, you know, Elton is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Okay, and she leaves, and she's at Circus Liquor. Yes. And then she gets robbed, and then she calls, you know. Josh. Right. <laughs> And, you know, she's like, all this happened to me, you know, you need to come get me. And he's like, where are you? And she just says Sun Valley. And somehow that's good enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, spoiler alert, she's not in Sun Valley. She's in North Hollywood. Yeah. On the corner of Vineland and Burbank. Right. We would have been much better calling Josh because we would have told him. Yeah. Come get me at the Circus Liquor on the corner of Vineland and Burbank. Why wouldn't you say that? Like, it's the fucking sign. Like, <laughs> but Sun Valley is like a whole little, you know, mini town in the valley. So, yeah, I thought that was a little questionable as well. What do you just drive down every street just kind of check it out? I know, it's not it a out? small place. No. I, I thought that was like one of the funniest parts of the movie because I was like, what? I mean, most people would never question it. You know what I mean? I would have no idea. Yeah. You know, I we've lived here, what, 11 years now yeah. in California. So I have a modicum of intelligence when it comes to directions, but it takes me forever yeah, to well, get anything. I mean, we have GPS now, too. So I think that you're a little different with the way you think about things now. Like, I, I wouldn't be trying to give somebody directions on the phone that are just like, I'm on this I'm in Sun Valley and come to Circus Liquor there. Well, we actually have the scene where Murray is looking at a map. Yes. And, oh, gosh, I know. And I was like, wow. Because, you know, I used to have a map in my car. My friends did, yeah. you know, in case you got stuck. I always had a 50 States Atlas in my car because I drove everywhere. Yeah. Like, literally, it's like, oh, I have two days. I'm going to drive to Iowa. You know, I was just like, <laughs> drive somewhere crazy. That'd be fun. And, uh, yeah, so I always had, like, the whole book atlas in my car. But, yeah, now you would just use GPS. That would be the way. Oh. But I think that's it for me. I don't think I have anything else. I just wanted yeah. to mention that. No, I think that's great. And, I, you know, I'm really happy we we were able to finally talk about this movie. We've Same been here. thinking about it for the last three weeks. Right. That we've been on our unintentional hiatus. Mm -hmm. um, and we really were excited to wrap up, like, our pink month. Right. Which stretched into a pink month and a half. <laughs> um, but I've enjoyed talking about these movies and really enjoyed seeing how they have been similar mm -hmm. kind of across the board with some of these themes about, especially about fashion, like every single one. Fashion was like a huge aspect of the movie. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something that you and me think about that much. No. We joke about it since we're always in our closet filming and <laughs> next to our clothes. But, right. you know, we're not like fashion people. Um so it was really fun to though to watch these and think about costuming, think about like all these different things. The costumer on this movie was the same as the costumer on uh, Romeo and Michelle, that, Mona May. 
You see, that's just another amazing connection right there. I believe, there. unless I'm mistaken. No, I think you're right. Yeah, actually, right next to each other. Yeah, actually, so Mona May did Clueless, and then um, she did that. The next, she did the Clueless TV show as well, and oh, wow. then she did Romeo and Michelle the movie. Um, so she <laughs> couldn't be more awesome with the clothes that she picks. Like, there's so many iconic type looks in both of those movies, mm -hmm. um, and I just think that's fantastic. And it's something different and interesting for us to talk about. Um, and it was nice to talk about like female centric movies. Very much. You know, because there's still unfortunately kind of few and far between. Mm -hmm. And a big part of the the draw for me, and um, you know, also for um, Etta when we talked to Etta about Legally Blonde, was that you know you could watch a movie about somebody who was kind of girly, and it wasn't played as a joke. It was played as like something that could be you know, positive. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that across all of these movies. I so, have too. Um, we hope that everybody's also enjoyed uh, listening to us discuss Clueless and all the four other pink themed films that we did. Um, and yeah, next we're going to turn our attention to some summer films. I believe the Sun and Sand series <laughs> is what we were going to call this. And we hope to be alive throughout the next you know four weeks or so as we talk about those movies so come on back and join us uh hopefully in the next week we'll we'll go back to our weekly schedule yeah um and we'll feel well enough to do that and thanks for sticking with us over this uh, hiatus uh and we're glad to be back if not full force <laughs> at least upright we're giving you what we got <laughs> so Thanks for tuning in, and as always, stay comfy. Stay comfy.